Welcome to Back in the Field. My name is Carl. And my name is Arthi, and today we're talking about three whole episodes. <laughs> because we've been gone since the beginning of time. <laughs> or... I will not maintain this level of enthusiasm. Oh my goodness, I... But how... it's possible you have forgotten what my voice actually sounds like. <laughs> or mine. Although I did, I did, so I watched a bunch of episodes all in a run yesterday night, and I posted to our Tumblr a series of Snapchat videos of me reacting to Pontiac Bandit 3, The Cruise. I'm not looking forward to Pontiac Bandit 3. Honestly? So just so people know, I watched the three episodes for this back when we were going to record a month ago, but life got in the way. And then I rewatched them again before this, but I don't know anything that happens after Yippie Kayak. Yeah, and I'm not going to tell you because you deserve to have those moments happen to you organically. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some. Are Boyle actually... and Gina back together yet? I wish. That's the only. No, thing I don't I can... give a shit. <laughs> fair, fair. So right before the last episode we did was the mattress, which. Yeah. I I rewatched that before I jumped into my like run of like watching episodes and you know I I have to say I got a past me was very myopic and I kind of am glad that we took the time to like step away from the show for a while because rewatching the mattress and knowing that there was more coming after it but like in a more tangible way than the sort of like I have to wait weeks and weeks for new episodes having watching the mattress with really fresh eyes was great because I suddenly found myself a lot more sympathetic to Amy's perspective. Right. Like, the line that got me really annoyed the first time, or the first couple times, back when we watched that during air, was her saying, well, to me it sounds like I'm not worth it. And I remember thinking then that she was overreacting. But now, like, when I watched it more recently, I guess, like, I heard what she heard from Jake and so I was a lot more sympathetic to her position the entire episode. Cool. Yeah. So I, I, I feel like watching all the episodes in a row, any, any flaws I feel like I saw, in, especially in the Swedes, which I f- felt was not awesome. But we'll We're going to have a good that. time because I really disliked Ava. Oh, sweet. This is going to be For a like really good time. For like half of it. Yeah, Luckily, but... Yippee Kayak was the shit, so we're going to end on a high note. Yippee Kayak was incredible, but we'll get to that. Yippee Kayak only had, like, one flaw. Oh, man. I can't we'll wait get to, to it. I can't think of what it is, so it's a wonderfully a perfect episode, in my opinion. Oh, um, you know it. It's just, you don't know, you don't remember. You, you know the flaw. You'll know it when I say it. Okay, yeah. I'll probably agree with you, because we're so on the same level, clearly. Yeah. I guess, so... <laughs> So the three episodes we missed and that we're covering in this podcast are Ava, The Swedes, and Yippie Kayak, if you haven't figured it out. Should we talk more about what we've been delayed by? You've had real life. I've had real life. Shit's been real. Yeah, sure. I mean, we can, we can talk about what's been, what's been going on. Yeah. You want to start? Yeah. As regular listeners of the podcast know, I've moved to Los Angeles and my job is kind of all-consuming. This is sort of the downside of working in tech my old job was amazing it was much less like rigorous no i shouldn't say that my old job was much less constantly demanding my old job would have moments where it was demanding but it wasn't like quite this quite this regularly but my team here is a lot smaller um the company's only 40 people my app is called flipagram if anyone wants to check it out i definitely encourage all of our listeners to check it out because you guys are in my target demographic (laughs) Um, I love my job. It's just that it takes a lot out of me and it makes it hard to do things like live tweet in a timely way or coordinate with Carl across three time zones to record episodes. Actually, the show moving to Tuesdays is going to make that a little bit easier for us. I don't really know the difference between Tuesday and Sunday anymore just because like, I very rarely use my computer for television anymore. The, the main thing that's kind of delayed me on this is the degree to which normal television has exited my life. Hmm. Um, I mostly get my entertainment from a combination of pro graps and that's pro wrestling, a combination of pro wrestling and anime. So like Brooklyn Nine-Nine is just so different from what I'm watching now compared to when we started the podcast. But also like there were some other significant delays. Like I went on honeymoon. Yeah. You went to Egypt, which is, we talked about it in real life when I went to New York last month, but still this month. Fuck. What, what year are we in? It was this month. Yes. We were in 2016. Oh Egypt God. is really great. Anyone yes. who can go to Egypt should go to Egypt. Like, get a tour guide. You'll be safe. 
I guess, like, unless the government collapses, which, I don't know. But, like, it's so cool. There's nowhere else like it, because there's nowhere else where there's that much history that's that old that we know that much about. Like, that combination of three things. We know so much about the historical sites in Egypt, because they wrote on everything. And there's so many things that are, like, four or five thousand years old. Which See, like, you don't, if you're, for our American listeners, you don't understand what old things are until you leave America. Because nothing's old in America. True. True. That part is super true. I don't know. I, my ethnocentrism's like, but there's stuff that's like 10,000 years old and well recorded in India, man. But I'm not going to play that. Too there deep. are sites and like, the, India was the other place I thought of. But there's a smaller uh, concentration of historical sites that are as well preserved, I think. Yeah, I would agree that a lot of the sites that I'm thinking of have more, like, they're historical, but because they were so far in antiquity, they became mythological, or sort of on the level of epic. There's a sense when you visit Egypt that, like, you're hearing about what these people were thinking like, and civilization was old when people started making the pyramids. There was, like, a lot of history that preceded that that we don't know anything about. But these people realized that, like, they weren't inventing anything. I mean, they were inventing stuff, but, like, they were building on a really long history already. So cool. I saw, like... It's so weird being American. When when you get a sense of how old the world is, yeah, it, was really, it really is strange to be an American. Speaking of, I saw Hamilton on Thursday. Oh my god, yes! Ah. It's really good. So, for listeners who don't remember, I went to see Hamilton back like a year ago. Oh, you in did! March. I forgot about that. Yeah, I saw it in I saw it in March when it was still in previews at the public because nice. <laughs> because I I have a friend who works on Broadway, or rather, her fiance works on Broadway, but so she like has all the inside scoop. So I happened totally by random chance to see a post she made on Facebook saying that. Uh, Hamilton was Hamilton's preview run was getting an extension and that tickets were going to go on sale at certain date on certain time. Uh, sorry, on certain date at certain time. Um, so I just picked up tickets and I went by myself and I sat like kind of like right in front of the sound booth and I saw everything. I like it was the original cast. So I saw Divi Diggs and Leslie Odom Jr. and Lin-Manuel Miranda and, you know, Philip Sue and all of them. And it was really They're all great. still in it. It's, the only person who's changed is... The only people who've changed from the original cast are, like, the guy who plays Lauren slash Philip Hamilton and uh, the guy who plays King George. But they're starting to phase out Lin-Manuel as Hamilton, so... Yeah, that's what I've been hearing. Because, like, it sounds like it's often like, oh, the part of Hamilton will be played today by so-and-so, which is fine. He doesn't, he doesn't do it on Saturdays at this point. Oh, okay. That, that's fair. He has, like, a child... Yeah, and he's probably going to write another musical. Yeah, right there's now. that too. I wonder what it'll be. Uh, it'll be awesome. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. You, when you get a chance, if you have like, if you have a few hours on like a Saturday, you should go to the New York Public Library for Performing Arts and watch their professional taping. You have to sit there, and you can bring your right. own headphones. But like, if you do that, you can watch the original Broadway cast of In the Heights. Oh, I'd like to do that. Lin-Manuel Miranda is, like, the writer of musicals for the 21st century. Yeah. Like, he's Sondheim. He's Schwartz. He's all of them. He's, he's our gonna Rogers blow. Anderson. Yeah. He's going to blow everything the fuck away. This is the golden age. Yeah, and of, he's of, relatively well-adjusted. Bless his heart. <laughs> like, he seems like a good person. Yeah, so I, I definitely encourage you to see. And it's, like, a professional recording. It's not some, like, cam version off of BitTorrent. It's, like a legit professional recording that is done by it's like the broadway preservation society within the nypl something like that anyway the nypl has tapings of all the original broadway cast performances pretty much starting from when video was readily accessible for archival purposes cool like i said the the catch is you have to sit there yeah of course but it's great it's super great and you should definitely do that if you can and any listeners who find their way to new york city that's also eventually they'll have a they'll have a a rentable copy of Hamilton as well. And if you can't afford the tickets because they're triple digit numbers for tickets and they're always sold out. Well, there aren't any tickets until November, so no one no one who wants to buy tickets now is going to get to see Lin Manuel as Hamilton. Yeah. So 
given that, um, eventually you'll be able to watch him be Hamilton on like a little TV screen. I mean, that's how I watched Legally Blonde, which is one of my faves. And I'll never get to see the original cast, but I have that taping. Cool. Hey. um, Also, some books came out, I guess. Oh, yeah. That keeps happening. Yeah. Book after book. You want to talk about some of the books you had come out? So far this year, a book came out called The Drowny Eyes, Mm -hmm. which is about queer ladies on boats with weather magic. It's pretty cool. I loved the concept of that. You could read it read pretty fast. It's like 30,000 words. I know. It's on my list. It's always on my list. costs like two ninety nine. Someone's got to buy these, so... <laughs> Noted. I'll throw some cash at the... Instead of at my romance novel obsession, I'll throw it at yours. You can do both. It's three bucks. <laughs> you don't know about my finances. Anyway, you were saying you had The Drowning Eyes come out. That's the only book that's come, of mine that's come out this year. We've got a book coming out next month about how shitty New York cops are. It's called The Ballad of Black Tom. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, from my end, I've been working on... When I'm not working on my job, <laughs> I've been working on scripts. So I have... I'm I'm finally getting time to revise my spec that you saw months ago. Cool. And I'm working on my play. And once the play is done and is off to revisions, I'm going to be starting on a movie. Sweet. Yeah, I'm excited. Oh, and I'm going skiing on Monday, you guys. This is the first time I've ever gone skiing. In my head, it's I still classify it as, quote, white nonsense, but we'll see. I mean, it's from all the cold places in the world, so... I don't know. I'm, I want to try it because this is the only time where, like, my lodging is covered by someone else. So skiing is relatively not... It's not an insurmountable cost. So I'm excited. Cool. We're going to Big Bear here in California. I'm going to ski down Bear Mountain. I have a four-hour ski lesson about snow pants. And other things, probably. Uh, yeah, I had to buy a Uniqlo puffy jacket and some other stuff. It was pretty okay. But yeah, so that's kind of what's immediately happening in my life. Um, that being said, we should record now. Yeah, let's actually do this. Hey, so uh, Carl, what happens in Ava? Terry goes to Rikers in an opportune moment. So Sharon starts having birth without him. Jake is in charge for reasons of bad decisions. Mostly because, like, the... All the people who would be adults about it are not around, slash, super awkward. All the fax machine, wait, no, all the internet is dead, so everything descends into chaos, and they end up in a hospital despite a lot of yelling. There's also a duck, an ominous duck, lurking in the history. Yes. Nick Offerman was there. Yes. And his beard is glorious and straight up shouted out by the cast. Yep. Where do you want to start with this? Because you were, okay, you clearly were unhappy with this, and I actually was not. And I think, I have a feeling that the reason you're unhappy and the reason I am happy are the same reason, so let's talk about it. I hope, I hope not. I mean, so I think that it kind of, like, finds its footing by the end of the episode, but the first, like, two-thirds of this episode are so, so awkward and so uncomfortable, and I don't like it. I do not, like, a lot of the humor in this episode comes from Jake saying vaginal and, like, being really weird towards Sharon and I do not like that. <laughs> See, and I and I was right because I didn't read it that way. Um, okay. I saw it as Jake playing only sane man to everyone around him, basically losing their minds. And that is where the episode ends up. But before that, he says vaginal like a hundred times, and dubs himself Sharon's god husband, <laughs> and like uses like talks about like sexual healing that's not only sane man that's creepazoid and i guess i just didn't read it that way i think it's because i think it's because we've had in the build-up to this episode several episodes where terry has said that you know he and jake are 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 friends friends and you know jake was one of the first people to know about terry being pregnant and you know jake's been trying to be supportive and i kind of read this as like Terry and Sharon being aware of like Jake not being great at emotional stuff and like babies and family in general and sort of giving him the benefit of the doubt here which which is like, what I did I see as a all of that but there are non-sexual directions to go with that line of humor I don't disagree um sexual healing I don't know I love that song and so, and it's it's just such a it's such a non-sequitur choice that I was like willing to go along with it 
Because he's going for, like, the Barry White, Marvin Gaye voice. So, of course, he's going to do some, like, wholly inappropriate song. Like, it was... Yeah, but but I still don't... I don't still... I still don't see why we're accepting the premise that he's going for a Barry White, Marvin Gaye voice. Well, it is, a, like, a low, soothing voice. He's doing his Color Me Bad, like... Uh, what's that? What's his pairing with Justin Timberlake? Like the that voice, like that R and B. Dick in a of... box. Yeah, yeah, that 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 like R and B voice. So you're so you're defending this by saying that he's doing his Dick in a box voice. <laughs> okay, how am I the bad guy here? <laughs> because you're in favor of vaginal stuff. Okay, I don't find the word like okay. Maybe maybe my relationship with the word vaginal is complex, but like. I guess so I'm... I don't think this is about relations with the word vaginal. <laughs> this show demonstrates how Sharon feels about this. She's Both Sharon and Terry are like, please stop talking about Sharon's vagina. <laughs> You're doing it in a weird and non-medical way. True. I mean, technically it's a cervix, not a vagina, but that's not the point. <laughs> that's one of many points. True. Also true. Also true. Um, that... Like when you compare that to how Gina reflects on how the situation is awkward you see that there's a lot of different ways that you can go with this i agree i guess like the primary point i was comparing to is like holt's like vaguely judgmental line of questioning in relation to sharon and i guess like given given that we have holt and his like his like inability to handle pregnant women like jake's mm-hmm. is relatively benign jake is i think the thing is it's I hate to do this because I know I'm gonna like I'm gonna know I'm gonna catch some flack and I'm gonna say it anyway. In some level, on some level, because these are all known parties, intent matters, right? Like intent matters when it's people you know, not when people you don't know. Fuck those people. But when you know the people, intent does matter a little bit. Like that doesn't mean you can't be offended because Sharon and Terry are clearly like not okay with Jake saying the word vaginal a lot. That said. Within the context of what's going on, Jake is trying to help, and Holt is not being helpful. Yeah, like... And and Gina is actively trying not to help. No, that's... that's I mean, Gina is, is trying to get out of helping, but is still helping a lot. Like... Gina is being helpful when she is directly given a command to be helpful. So, again, I like where this ends up, and there's no point at which I doubt that, that Jake is trying his hardest and is doing as good a job as someone with his capacities could. I just think the first half of this episode feels really bad. I... The episode... I mean, I'm on record as hating cringe humor. That's fair, and I don't love it either. I... I feel like the... Is the natural comparison for this episode Lockdown? What happens in lockdown? Yeah. Charles opens a mysterious package and the precinct gets locked down. So they're locked in with like all the criminals and all the people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of parallels to that episode. If you look at that episode and look at this, like Jake handles... Well, okay. Jake does not handle all the angry people at all. He doesn't even bother. But they're relatively a non-issue compared to the actual crisis that is there's a woman having a baby. Yeah. I mean... I don't know. I'll be interested to see what our what our audience. Hey, audience, tell us what you feel. Because, um, like, I don't know if I have a lot to discuss about it. I like I like when Jake is the only sane man. I like when he gets frustrated by everyone else around him being like, being like children or crazy or, or like a mess, and he has to keep it together. Like, that's I, my. What, personal... what I like about this is like you know the people who might be able to handle this slightly better are indisposed in various ways that feel realistic yeah charles and amy are doing their best to keep the situation together but we don't waste any time on them like jake checks in on them and the situation has gotten much worse (laughs) in ways that are explained but not shown and i think it's good this time yeah usually it's usually it's show not tell but in this case it's like what's been going on here they're like uh well scully started a fire so or Hitchcock, I don't care. <laughs> there are good reasons for Jake to be taking the lead on this one. I think he does a good job at the end. Um, See, I think he does a great job pretty much from... Like, he's keeping it together, which is sort of maintenance, which is fine. But I feel like he starts doing a great job probably like Act 2. Yeah, towards the middle to end of Act 2. Like... Once we introduce Nick Offerman, 
like right before we introduce Nick Offerman, when he's like, Holt, I need your help. I need you to talk to your ex. Like, I think that's the point where he's clearly the adult in the situation, which is a very interesting dynamic for the episode. And he maintains it. Yes. I guess the reason I'm super okay with this plot line is because it gave me one of the things that I've been sort of loudly, angrily, like throwing a temper tantrum in a corner about for a while. I've said before, my favorite version of Jake is where he's the only sane man amongst all these like crazy weirdos. I like when Jake ends up having to play the adult, when he plays straight against the rest. And they have him playing straight in a way that I'm super okay with, where he's still like being dumb and misreading the situation in ways that are specific to his immaturity. But when when his back's against the wall, when Sharon starts having problems, when when they do need, when he's like recognized that, hey, we do need a doctor in here and her doula and her backup doula are not available. And if she's refusing to go to the hospital, we need to bring someone in. Like him being like, all right, here are my options. I'm making the best choice I can in the situation. I like that version of Jake. I like that version of Jake because I think that version of Jake is one that is a product of the episodes that have come before it. And that version of Jake is, I think, the thread holding these three episodes together. Yes. And spoilers for you, I guess, that that version of Jake persists. Yeah, it seems like it. I mean, in these episodes, Jake's setting a precedent saying, like, yo, I've realized it's time to start acting like an adult, which some people realize earlier than others, Jake. I'm sitting here ten years in your past thinking, hmm. (laughs) But maybe I'm old at heart. Well, I feel like when you have to pay rent, you have to get you have to get your life right a lot faster. Jake and I have been paying rent for the same amount of time, I think. Sure, sure. But they're also, if not rent, then like, I don't know, just being responsible about bills and shit. Like, having to have your life together, like, is a real thing. And like, Jake's total lack of fiscal responsibility is definitely a reflection of his inability to be an adult. It sounds like he's more together now than he was before. Not financially. (laughs) He's getting there. No, he's not. He still only owns $50. He bought Amy a boogie board. I don't know. Yeah, that that's... Now he doesn't have $50 anymore. Now he's back to $0. <laughs> Whatever. The point being, like, I... I'm, I'm glad that we see, like, emotionally mature Jake, like, really stand up in this episode. And it was nice cause, because I watched The Mattress right before, where he, like, sort of... Uh, was rebelling to- against adulthood. A little bit, but, like, yeah, I mean, refusing to buy a new mattress is sort of that. I don't know. I guess I feel like we saw some of that begin to, like, we saw him own that at the end of the mattress. And then seeing that persist into Ava was really, was a nice, like, bit of continuity as well. And then we see it somewhat persist in the Swedes, right? I think that he, yeah, I mean, definitely. So let's go to the sweets. Well, I do. Before we do that, all I want to say is I loved Boyle and Amy and their whole like little paperwork. I refuse to ship them. You can't make me. I'm not. I'm not shipping them. I just. Yeah, but the show did make Amy say that she was attracted to Boyle because of paperwork. But purely his paperwork skills. Literally everything else about him. Like the minute he makes the pill bug. But it was. It was in a physical way. He was like, I've been cramping for hours. And she's like, why am I so attracted to you right now? Right. And then the minute he makes the pill bug reference, she goes, oh, no, I can't handle this. It's Hitchcock's gully. (laughs) Yeah. This is also the first time they've been paired up in a plot line since Halloween 1. They've formed a better working relationship. (laughs) Yeah, over paperwork. I hope all of the future interactions are over paperwork. God bless. Do you want to talk about the Swedes? I do want to talk about the Swedes. I want to talk about how the first criminal's name is Carl. I see you. I see you, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> Before we jump into Don't think Swedes. you can hide from me. <laughs> I know it's a Swedish name, but I will find you. <laughs> Before we jump into discussion, hey, Carl, what happens in the Swedes? Carl does some crimes with a diamond. Some Swedes show up from Interpol. They trash Danish people, which... Fair, I guess. <laughs> Accurate, though. You you don't know shit about Danish. No, I mean, I the Swedes trashing the Danish oh, yeah. is accurate. 
basically the Swedes have a really weird relationship with each other, which causes Jake to question why he and Rosa essentially aren't friends and don't share anything about their real lives. They try to solve a jewel heist. Uh, They eventually figure out how to do so and discover the true meaning of friendship, which is ever talking about your real lives. (laughs) My little pony mama. God, I, I, I have the worst singing voice. Wait, are you doing the My Little Pony? No, I'm my... doing a much shittier version of that. <laughs> P.S. I Meanwhile, the, the meaning. Wait, so are you? Were you saying that Jake and Roja learned the magic of friendship? Yeah, which is ever talking about each other while like slamming back six whiskeys. <laughs> Holt chooses uh, Boyle to be his squash partner. Which is a problem because Boyle used to be a squash maniac, but it ends up okay, except that a lot of property damage is done. And a combination of Amy, Terry, and Neil deGrasse Tyson attempt to teach Gina about astronomy. I want to start with the astronomy plotline. Go ahead. I love astronomy. If I could have had 11 straight birthdays at the planetarium, I would have. I Love outer space. I wanted to be an astrophysicist up until high school physics class. And then my super shitty ex-NASA high school physics teacher made me hate everything about physics. So, (laughs) American education system. And I went to good schools. The Swedes do make a good point about about samesies basically meaning proudly uneducated. (laughs) <laughs> uh, this show does nothing to contradict the Swedes' correctness on this. It makes all Americans look like fucking dumbasses. Although, uh, they get, they say that, and in the same episode, give us Amy and Terry and Gina and Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah. So, we're showcasing America in excellence against American excellence. While we're talking about the advantages of living in New York, uh, the... The astronomy part of the American Museum of Natural History is the most humbling thing in the world. Oh, my God. Because it's like, we're really fucking small. We're never going to, like, reach other, like, if there's an inhabited planet somewhere else, we will never reach it. Probably not. Until we beat up the speed of light. Any decent planetarium show will give you an overwhelming sense of your own insignificance. Yeah. Um, which I think some people find anxiety-inducing. However, I find it liberating, because what it means is nothing I do can really fuck shit up that much. Yeah, but in the human scale, we are managing to murder our planet. So. Not disagreeing. But yes, I loved, I love that Gina calls Neil deGrasse Tyson space tie. I love that... Yeah. Amy and Terry put together an interpretive dance teaching Gina about the Big Bang all and ending at calculating parallax, which is they like... They clearly do not have a, a, um, a reasonable lesson plan. I mean, that makes sense because parallax is how you, how, how you account for eccentricity in orbit, I believe. Okay. Par- parallax has to do with like periodicity in orbits or something like that. It's a Heigl sure. problem. Or Herschel? It's a, that, that space person whose start, name starts with an H. Anyway, point being... Hubble? No, no. It was um, the one who figured out that orbits are elliptical. It was in the 17 or 1800s. Okay. But either way, super cool. I loved it. I don't know. It was just like wonderfully dorky. And like so perfectly them. Like what a nice like gesture. And I do appreciate that Gina was like, I was so inspired by your passion for astronomy that I actually bothered to study. I still made you do an hour long dance session, but still. For sexual objectification reasons. Less cool. I did I did. Have you get... figured out my problem with uh UP kayak yet? We'll get there. Okay. My favorite joke in the episode did come during the astronomy arc, which was uh watching Neil deGrasse Tyson squat, which I think was like 400 pounds or something, because it's physics, Terry. <laughs> I just liked that, that Neil deGrasse Tyson got to be on a television program, like not all decked I, out in space tie for like one I, scene. I love how game he is for everything. Yes. I love that he had a rap battle to prove the earth isn't flat. His son did that though, or his nephew. No, I thought, I thought that he 
I thought that he like spat some verses. Possible. I'm I'm not super up on my Neil deGrasse Tyson pop culture, but I believe you. What was I going to say? He's super game for stuff, and I I do appreciate that they got him on the show. It makes total sense too. Also, going up to the B plot with the squash battle or the yep. squash tournament, I suddenly had this realization of like. I think Holt and Kevin live in Park Slope. I don't think they live on the Upper West Side. I mean, I never thought they lived in the Upper West Side, but I thought they lived more, like, around the village or something. I think they live in Park Slope, because there's no it's reason very to possible. go to... The, the tournament is, like, the Park, Park Slope annual squash tournament. Oh, then it is definitely in Park Slope that they live. Yeah, which is also the neighborhood... Because they are definitely, like, capital M, capital C members of their community. Yes. I mean, it also makes sense. Park Slope is accessible by the one, which would take him, well, the one, too, which would take Kevin up to Columbia. Only the one would take him to Columbia, though. I right, made right. that mistake once. <laughs> yeah, you rode right past 116 to 125, huh? No, like, I got off at 116 in, like, Harlem, and as, like, a white boy in the city for the first time, I was very confused and scared. Aw, past Carl. Poor past yeah. Carl. <laughs> it was literally my first time in the city. Oh, gosh, that's upsetting. Yeah, that was fine. Well, actually, it's second or third time, but, like... Yeah. First um, time when I was trying to get a job. Oof. The thing is, though, I don't know about any... I don't know about currently, but there used to be a rule that NYPD can't live in the precinct that they are employed at. Isn't that backwards as shit? I mean, it's not my rule. <laughs> Isn't that literally the opposite of community policing? Uh-huh. But it, there was a lot Why would you do that on purpose? Why would anyone think that's a good idea? I hate cops so much. I think it was an anti-corruption measure. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, it worked out real well. Uh... Um, but yeah, it used to be that cops were not allowed to live in the precinct that they have jurisdiction. So if all these people are in the 9-9, which is secretly the 7-8, then... They couldn't live in Park Slope. They have to live, like, in Carroll Gardens. Fucked up. By the way, I was watching um, a sports documentary, an ESPN sports documentary, one of their 30 for 30, and they explicitly call out, like, all the, like, cool neighborhoods of Brooklyn as being, like, super dangerous in, like, the 70s and 80s, and I was like, holy shit, New York has changed so much. Yeah. I mean, the whole world has. True. For all the people go on about broken windows, it probably has absolutely, like, the broken windows theory probably has absolutely nothing to do with the drop in crime. There's been a global drop in violence since the end of the 90s. A huge global drop in violence. Against which, there there are a lot of political theories about this, like, the one that my wife, that is my wife's favorite is lead poisoning. Oh, we we Lead fucks you up, lead fucks you up real hard. And, like... Lead poisoning was at its worst for in the childhoods of the generations leading into the 1780s and 90s. So the world was holistically more violent, uh, less intelligent, more prone to crime, more likely to drop out of school. And that's why Detroit is doomed. You mean Flint, Michigan? All kinds of places in Michigan. Like, there was lead poisoning in, in Detroit really recently. Yeah. It's just Flint is still fucked and irreparably fucked up. They changed the water supply of Detroit again. There's still a little generation of children who are going to grow up with lead poisoning, and then that'll be a problem for the next 50 years. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not the water supply. It's actually the pipes. Yeah. Well. At this point. Like, at this point, it's known that the problem is not the supplier position anymore, because they quote-unquote fix that. The actual problem mm. is truly the pipes. They're, they're rusted out and damaged and leaching lead. Well, Ugh. all is lost. Pretty much. Anyway, the NYPD had almost nothing to do with a drop in crime in New York. Of course not. That's, that's a given. The world's so the just Swedes. better now than it used to be. Yeah. So the Swedes. Uh, or, or should we talk about ma- racquetball? And oh, when- uh, there's, one thing, there's one thing I want to talk about in racquetball, in that it is a pretty perfect wrestling storyline. Yeah? Where a new tag team forms, and one of them is trying to be a good guy, but the other one's like, dude, we're losing all our matches. <laughs> so then Boyle has a heel turn, and he gets a new entrance theme and, a, and black ring gear, and becomes very violent and aggressive, and they win all their matches. But then they get their comeuppance after, after they lose the belts, because of unnecessary violence. 
<laughs> I'm really into this wrestling storyline that you've just painted. Yep. All right, let's talk about the Swedes. They are. Let's talk about the Swedes. So I recognized both those actors from other work. Yeah. yeah. See, their names are. Uh, Soren and Agneta. Yeah, Agneta, that actress, she is one half of Garfunkel and Oates, which is a comedy band um, of two women who do like filk and like original songs. Um, the one. The one that I remember them doing and getting a lot of press for was uh, Fuck Me in the Ass for Jesus. Okay. Which, which is which is a song about the perils of abstinence-only education, basically. They okay. apparently were inspired by an article in some place that was talking about the rise in anal sex between conservative Christian teenage couples. Okay. Uh, because, you know... Anyway, so the song is like it's a little crazy and dumb and dumb but great. Like it's really funny. And they they have like other parody songs and stuff as well, but the I don't the one I remember best is that one. And then they also did um a series on I think it was Comedy Central. It was called Modern Period. But either way, I recognize her and then he was on the Soren was on the Mindy Project as Mindy's super Christian missionary boyfriend. Uh, through the end of season one into the beginning of season two. So he's always been a horrible stick in the mud. Yeah, yes? Question mark? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't I never know. watched any of the Mindy Project, so. Good, live your life. I watched like five minutes of it, and I was like, this is not going to be a show I can handle. It's everything that I... The parts I enjoyed were the parts of actual Mindy Kaling's, like actual personality, I find compelling and interesting and fun. And the parts I didn't enjoy were also the parts of Mindy Kaling I often find offensive and ignorant and difficult to deal with. Surprise! <laughs> I just can't handle awkward aggression. I just find Mindy Lahiri's performance of gender within the context of that show really interesting. She owns a very, quote-unquote, masculine ego, and I think that's right. really interesting. Because I think a part of the part of her character that is actually despicable stems from her most masculine instinct and it's like do we hate that part of masculinity or do we hate her performance of it because of misogyny i mean i just feel awkward when someone's like drunkenly assaulting people at a wedding there's that they're the hero (laughs) well you're not really supposed to cheer for mindy all the time you are supposed to be like what are you doing i have my own problems with the mini project but none of them are related to the Swedes. The Swedes. How do we even get on the Mindy Project? Hmm? How do we even get on the Mindy Project? The the one who played Soren was on that show. Right, right. How much research do you think they did about Sweden? Do you think it's none? <laughs> I think it's a cursor reading of Wikipedia. Yeah, I think it's none. <laughs> <laughs> why, why do you say that? <laughs> I feel like the Swedes and the... I, I, I don't think there's a lot of historical tension between the Swedes and the Danes compared to the Finns. Because <laughs> the Finns are in a different language group and have historically been shat on by everyone around them. <laughs> when they're like, Danish is a garbage language, but we speak Finnish. Unlikely. <laughs> that, that's interesting. I do, I do feel like... So I used to, I used to read Scandinavia in the World, which yeah. was a Hitalia-style comic. But it's not Hitalia related. Hitalia is inherently sexist. Don't rot, don't read Hitalia. <laughs> Hitalia is also like inherently pro-Nazi. Oh yeah, I don't understand. It's... Like I don't understand how it's me either. I have some friends. I have some friends who are big in Hitalia, and I'm like, isn't like Nazi Germany like a protagonist in this show? It's super Japan nationalist. Don't watch Japan's version of World War II ever. Don't. Let yourself do that. Don't cosplay Japanese apologism for World War II. Right? Especially Just because... don't do it. Well, especially because the creator's own, like, sexism and misogyny is so obvious. Nations he considers weak are portrayed by women, including Vietnam and China? China, huh? Huh. Well, I mean... Welp. <laughs> I mean, if you know about... Japanese World War II history with relation to China, you understand why he thinks that. Let's not talk about Hitalia Axis powers. 
Yes, but Scandinavian the World comic, it does seem yeah. like all the Nordic countries are constantly just bickering. Um, well, I mean, a little bit, but, like, I don't know. I mean, I'm also wondering why Soren, like, didn't just wear gloves while cycling instead of shaving his goddamn fingers. <laughs> I I was super weirded out by them holding hands. I was like, so they're banging, yep. right? Yep. <laughs> like, they're banging? Oh, I think that's actually why I didn't think they'd done a lot of research into Scandinavia. Because I think... Because Scandinavia is not as sociable a culture as America. Like, it's a much more interpersonally restrained culture, is my completely uneducated understanding. (laughs) And I don't actually know shit. But, like, I also am sure that they are banging. I do not think that, like, everyone holds hands and shares everything about their feelings in, like, Sweden. (laughs) I did appreciate at the very end Jake being like, gross, stop holding hands. Inappropriate. It is inappropriate workplace behavior. But they were in America at a bar. Yeah, I mean, still, inappropriate workplace behavior. (laughs) I guess it was so interesting because, like, I know Jake wanted some sort of relationship like that with Rosa, but I looked at the Swedes and I was like, isn't that fundamentally jake's relationship with amy i mean no because like i mean they're banging but like if you went back to like season two jake and amy or even like late season one where he straight up tells her you do know me yes and like he realizes that he wants a more like friendship relationship with with rosa based on like openness but not like I came in some Tupperware for you. There's a wide gulf. (laughs) He's like, so we're on like the opposite (laughs) sides of the world on here, but maybe we should meet like somewhere in the middle, like in China, (laughs) the middle kingdom. Right. Like, I also appreciate Jake being like, yes, let's drink in silence. And Rose is super into that. Right? I really liked this episode. I really did. Also, there's a lawnmower. I'm sorry. Oh, that reminds me. I just now noticed the theme song has this, like, subtle sci-fi noises in the background that go, bew, 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 <laughs> I'm going to find it really distracting forever. It's because you got new headphones, you said? Yeah, I did. Pretty into it. I should maybe invest in some higher quality headphones. Maybe. They're real cumbersome. Oh, yeah. My inherent laziness tends to win over my, like, and adoration for shiny things. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I just, I really did like this episode. I'd forgotten that Rosa and Marcus had broken up without telling anyone. Oh, yeah. I'd forgot. I also had done in my notes to celebrate that Marcus was gone. But then I remember there was a whole episode about that. Right. There was a full episode about how Holt was helping Rosa break up with Marcus. Yeah. And it ends with that really funny scene of them crying. But I forgot that nobody else knew. Yeah, me too. I, I, I have a long section of notes about laughing that Marcus is gone. Okay, let's talk about that. No, they're not relevant anymore. Because I forgot about? that he'd been gone. That, but that's, that's inherently why they're relevant. We'd forgotten so much about Marcus. Yeah, but that's my fault. No, it's not. It is. Marcus was around for all of ten minutes, and they were in love so fast that we were like, what is going on? But I should remember they had an entire episode about breaking up. I'd rather close out our discussion of this episode with, like, three random facts I noticed. Okay. One, this puts a nail in the coffin of my theory. Well, actually, this, like, seals the deal on my theory that Jake hates fish for unknown reasons. Like, it's something I've been picking up on all season. They just decided to have him hate the shit out of fish. (laughs) And I don't understand why. (laughs) Yes, he was like, ugh, gross, get it away from me. In general, over the course of these episodes, I think they're pretty inconsistent about uh, Jake's, like, New York Jewish culture. <laughs> they don't, they, I feel like they only lean into it when it's convenient anyway. I mean, surely he's had locks, right? I don't know. So I just uh, went back to being a pescatarian from being a vegetarian, and I had locks and cream cheese, and I'm like, for the first time in my life. And it is an insane combo. <laughs> so, uh, man up, Jake. Eat some goddamn fishes. Is it, wait, insane like amazing or insane like garbage? So good. What? It's the best. Have you not had like a bagel of cream cheese and lox? 
even when I wasn't vegetarian, I was a non-fish oh. eating vegetarian. Er. Oh. I was when I was non-veg. I I've never liked fish. Okay. Which is why Jake not liking fish. I'm so in his corner. I'm like, oh, it's gross. It smells bad. I hate it. <laughs> well, salmon is different than fish. It's a very weird kind of fish and really good. If you're ever non-vegetarian again, have cream cheese and lox. Just try it once. It's so good. It's insane. It's like not clear what cream cheese is for. Once you've had cream cheese and lox, you're like, what's it for if not for having with like smoked fishes? Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, it's. I guess it's fine to not like fish, but like, but Jake really doesn't like fish. Well, also, like, it's it's not just that Jake doesn't like fish or that he's, like, so viscerally negative towards fish. It's the fact that, like, like you said, if he's a New York Jew, he should have had fish. Yeah. I mean, it's possible that he had fish and didn't like it. That's fine. Fair. For a hot second, I thought it was about, like, at one point he gets bombarded with shrimps. I'm like, ah, yes. Maybe one time he kept kosher. But there's no way he keeps kosher. That's really hard, honestly. He doesn't, he doesn't keep anything. Yeah. But also, keeping kosher kitchen is really, really difficult, based on all of my watching of Property Brothers, where they have sure. to retrofit kitchens to be kosher. But not even, like, choosing which meats to eat kosher. He might just really dislike fish. Fish is I, gross. I, I think that's what's up. <laughs> like, I feel like if I ate fish, and I, like, I don't know, I'm just really, I don't, I don't like seafood. I find seafood just terrifying and gross and horrible. Other, other facts yes. that I've noticed. Last episode was about babies. Charles tells Jake to put a baby in Amy for their six-month thingiversary. Monthiversary. Pregnancy scare plotline, I'm calling it. Possible. Does it happen in, like, the next two episodes? No. Okay. It's it's coming. It's coming down the line. Weird baby shit is incoming. I hope not, because, like, that was the end of the third season of The Office. No, fourth season of The Office, and I was not happy about it. Well... Sorry. <laughs> Luckily, I've been wrong before. You might actually be right this time, though. Although, I think you and I are more right about Jake and Amy breaking up. I don't remember what my opinion was on that. We, You and I were both saying that, like, Jake moving f- faster than Amy is emotionally is going to be a big reason their relationship doesn't work out. Yeah, but I think they're going to get through that now, actually. Partially because I think that the cutoff point for that is six months. I think in I think six months is when people figure that out, like, or like by six months people have figured that out, and then like there's another tier difficulty when like one person thinking about marriage and the other isn't, but like that's from six months out. from six months onward it has to be kind of deeper character and compatibility than like speed of mutual engagement, right? Last observation: Rose is dating a librarian now. I do not understand her type. Next thing you know, she's going to be dating someone named Carl. <laughs> if so, that would be the ultimate way of the show, apologizing for all the no, fucking dweebs be Carl. He'd be the worst. Oh, no. She'd throw, she'd throw him down a set of stairs. That said, have you met a modern librarian? A lot of them are super cool biker oh, tattoo no. types. I am all for librarians, but the Shur and Gore universe is not. <gasps> You're right. Oh, no. Shur and Gore hate librarians. They do. I forgot. As a publisher of books, librarians are like my best friends ever. They're such good, like, advocates of people, like, reading different books. And libraries are some of our biggest customers for, like, the novella line. So, like, support your local libraries. Get them to order our novellas. Also, uh, local public libraries have literacy and uh, ebook rentals. So you can check out ebooks from the library. Definitely check out your local public library. Yeah. They are the uh, the final stand of socialism in this country. They're also one of the most important public goods in this country. Libraries yeah, are the what true I equalizer of access. That's what I said. I know, I know, but like... The sweetest fruits of socialism. Is libraries. Free and education. Post- and free the access service. to the internet. And the postal service is fucked. <laughs> also, the postal service is an inherently capitalist endeavor. Ours is not. Postal service yeah. is not a for-profit endeavor. But Post. it's built. It's built out of a for-profit structure. I'm not disagreeing. I'm also going to point out that, like, if you ever meet an international person and ask them what post service is like in their country, it's a fucking nightmare mess. Yeah. 
Ask someone who's from Italy or from Turkey what postal service is like in those countries, and you'll be yeah. infinitely more gla- grateful for the USPS. I mean, Italy's fucked. <laughs> as fucked as Detroit, though? Italy gets nothing good. Aww. It depends what half of the country you're in, but, like, hope you have a lot of cousins, because otherwise you're not making it in Italy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. You want to talk about Yippie Kayak? Sure. Hey, hey, Carl, what's Yippie Kayak about? Yippie Kayak is about Gina bartering a naked picture of Terry for services. <laughs> that is a very, very... Now you know why I was saying about Yippie Kayak. Oh, yeah. I, I get that. I do. Yippie Kayak is about Die Hard. <laughs> but also is framed by... There, there's that. There's also a polar bear run. Polar bear swim. Those are the two things in Yippie Kayak. Die Hard polar bears yes and uh that that episode okay i I have to preface this by saying i really loved this episode i have seen die hard this is a beautiful homage this episode was written by lakshmi sundaram aka our favorite writer it's just a great episode start to finish like oh yeah for sure it's a really really good episode yes like the minute the die harding starts everything about the episode shifts from the musical cues to even, like, the straight-up camera work. The camera work is really good and totally different from their standard mode. I know. And, and... It's clear that people are, like, carrying the cameras around to get different shots. Like... Yes. There's, like, a mechanical difference between how the cameras are being moved. Yes. Yes. And, ah, uh, I loved... I loved the vulture being, like, the police person who keeps trying to raid the plaza building slash department store i loved terry being in the reginald bell johnson role i loved i loved that boyle got to be john mcclane i love that uh i love that jake was like super excited but also like taking things seriously i i love that we got from this episode one of the things that you and i've been talking about which is how terry should probably start thinking about rising in command and i love that holt straight up calls that out i I love that kiss at the end. I love that it's that crisis which gets Amy to like suck it up and get into the water. Those are basically all the things I mentioned. Oh, sorry. No, it's good. I mean, those are... It's a little weird rewatching this episode since Alan Rickman just died. But one thing he said about Die Hard was like... It kind of opened his eyes to like how few black people there usually are in Hollywood action movies. And one and the thing he loved best about Die Hard was how all the black characters in it are portrayed as competent and compassionate and better than the idiot white people who are wandering around ruining everything. Um, so like seeing uh, seeing Terry carry the vulture off the scene was very satisfying, and also like watching the like black sniper be like i'm not gonna shoot terry jeffords just because you told me to white man was really (laughs) satisfying (laughs) i'll have this maybe shoot you no i won't (laughs) maybe i'm making that seed into a race thing but like (laughs) you ain't wrong terry is clearly well we know that terry has a long competent well-regarded history with the force yeah like that's straight up told to us in the pilot my my favorite one offline is something like, what was it? The vulture says like, and you work out, which I respect. <laughs> no, he's like, uh, I will I will end your career, and you'll have to work as a model because you're you're shredded, and I respect that. <laughs> right? And I, I really was like, I was like, that's so perfect because like he is despicable, but like he ha- he put he put shitty kettlebells in his office and was taking bicep curls with that. I love that he would respect Terry's workout regimen. Amazing. Amazing. My favorite line, I'm pretty sure, is like when Amy has chickened out of the ocean and she's like, I know you're disappointing me because I'm shitty and weak. And Rose's like, no, we're not. And Holt's like, I sort of am. No lies on Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) No, the best is the gifts. Wee! No, <laughs> I loved that. Ah, uh, she she slayed. She was low key the best in this episode. You always say low key. Okay, fine. Gina, I was never me- think you're right. <laughs> well, like because she doesn't get a lot of spotlight for being so good. 
and that's kind right. of low key, right? Real real talk though, Gina was actually really great in this episode. Like her her reactions were spot on. Her desire for a flamethrower was great, and even her like power mad like flamethrowing was wonderful. And even the show's own like under uh, like you knew the homages they were going for, and you also knew every time like when it went wrong how like perfectly realistic that was. Like like the the homage to when he's undoing the screws and one falls on the floor. And, like, you see it, like, beautifully just track it falling. And then they're like, oh, that didn't hurt. No one heard that. And then you hear, whoom! <laughs> and the entire vet comes down. Or, Merry Christmas, ho, 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 I'm starving, let's get something to eat. <laughs> we were working with something. <laughs> which, Never which trust it, them. <laughs> but I appreciate that Hitchcock did it right, and Scully's the one who ruined it this time. Whereas, like, My- in in the previous episode... Uh, when Amy's like, how'd you guys get anything done? And Hitchcock's like, cocaine. And Scully's like, yes, that. And also, there there are fax machines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, also, there's pneumatic tubes. My One of my favorite parts was uh, Terry finally destroying Zeke. Right. I feel, When I saw that happen, I was like, Carl's really going to be happy about this. Zeke has been murdered and his body has been stashed in the swamps. Like, I think that he's finally conquered his brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Because... Mm-hmm. Terry's a man with his life together. Wait, was there, like, a newborn infant in this episode? There should have been. I don't think there was. We didn't see see that child. On the other hand, that child was probably sleeping. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, like, I think that they're establishing in these three episodes the ways in which the, all the characters have gotten their lives together. Yeah. And with Terry, it's like, you know... Being scared to get into the action, being scared to really assert himself as a commander, being scared of his, like, brother-in-law, that shit's in his past. He's gonna go into the future, like, guns blazing, because, like, now he has three kids to take care of, he's been doing a really good job holding this precinct together, he deserves a command. Yes, and spoilers, um, that, that is not forgotten. Terry, Terry trying for the lieutenant's exam is actually a plot point in the future. Yeah, it would have to be. Yes. Yes. Let me see. Oh, man. I just, I don't even know where to start. Uh, Yippee kayak, other buckets. It's so far off. <laughs> I know, but yet I love, I appreciate Jake being like, I know you have the moral high ground, but that's kind of killing me. <laughs> what else? There was just so much. Every detail of this episode was great. I don't even know where to begin. I mean, we began like 20 minutes ago. Uh, also true. Um I don't even know. You like, can talk about Christina Rossetti. You don't have to. She's just a pretty good poet. She's the one that Holt uh, quotes during the long poem toast. Oh, yeah. Is that a real poem? Oh, for sure. Uh, I mean, I haven't heard that one particularly, but like Christina Rossetti's been on my mind recently because she, Robert Galbraith, a.k.a. J.K. Rowling's, used one of her poems as the introduction to The Cuckoo's Calling. And in fact, the cuckoo's calling is a line from Christina Rossetti poem. Hmm. She's a really wonderful poet. She she has some amazing uh, symbolism. Also, she's pretty bleak. Maybe not the best thing for an inspirational toast before jumping into freezing cold. Water. I mean, the goal is to rec- the goal is to recognize the harshness of the winter. So, like, it wasn't. What is appropriate for Amy to say? Shut up, poem man. <laughs> Shut your dumb poem mouth. Yes. How wonderful. Oh, man. That kiss, though. It was it was a pretty good one. It was also just like... I've been saying I wanted... Whoa, hello. Hang on. Um, there been, hasn't been any physical indication that they've been in a relationship. <laughs> well, I was going to say what I've been wanting is demonstration from Amy of her feelings. Because we, we know how Jake feels. Um, I, I, I remember feeling for Jake in that moment when he was like, you really were worried about me? She's like, yeah, also your face is warm. That's an interaction I could have had in my life. A girlfriend being like, oh, you miss me? And she's like, no, your face is warm. Come here. <laughs> but I, I do like that Amy was like, yeah, of course I was worried. 
Yeah. And I appreciate Jake being like, oh, I, I did have I did have wrote, written down my notes. Amy risked frozen dismemberment strike through to do her job. I mean to save Jake. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, yes, she wants to save her boyfriend, but also... There's a hostage situation involving a civilian. They are cops. Right. No, totally legit. Um, I Specifically in that scene, what I'm happiest about is, yes, I'm happy that Amy is more, is like, runs up to him and kisses him. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm also really touched by how surprised Jake is that Amy cared that much. Like, he's like, wow, you were really worried. And she's like, yeah. I mean, and also your face is warm. Let's keep kissing. But, but like, his little, like... Jake, you were gonna, you were gonna die hard, the situation. Like, that's dangerous. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And I appreciate... She had reason to be worried about you. And I appreciate, uh, hang on, what was... What was the other episode from like season one or season two, I think, where it was like, oh, it was season one when, um, when Jake and Charles, it's Ebony Falcon, where Jake's like, and I'm going to have to take care of the kids. And Charles is like, or his wife or his family or his like other, other much more competent friends. Yeah, but sure. Let's go with that. Just like when Jake's like, it's like a diehard situation. Only it's not. It's not a skyscraper. It's only seven people, and they're not terrorists. They're thieves. And was like, and there's two of us and Gina. Yes. <laughs> I thought that Jake did like. I thought that Jake also showed a lot of maturity in like not getting carried away with himself in this hostage situation, and not like letting his like diehard fantasies override like trying to protect Gina. Because Jake would have done that in season one. Jake would have done that probably into season two as well. Yeah. Like, he does get chewed out by Terry for making stupid choices for his own ego. And I think earlier this season, Holt had to save his life because he decided to go, like, lone wolf on a dude. Yes, it was the, um... The Oolong Slayer. Yes. I mean, that was the episode that got Holt back to the precinct. Yeah. But yeah, Jake was lone wolfing really hard, and it was not a smart way to handle that. This is nice, because this is, this is exactly what we're talking about with Ava. When, when his back's against the wall, Jake makes the right choice rather than the, the fun choice. Oh, wait, there was one thing I wanted to mention in Ava that we walked right past, which was um, the minute Terry's like, Sharon's in labor, Rose is like, what the fuck, let's go. Yeah. I liked that. And I liked Terry being good. terrified of riding on the back of Rose's motorcycle that she stole requisitioned um though i'm surprised she didn't stop to let terry get his phone question mark it fell in traffic it was gone no man yippee kayak was such a standout episode such a standout episode so like when i was rewatching it a couple times i was like i made sure to note who the who the writer was and i was like of course it's lakshmi sundaram (laughs) our favorite this episode was so good. Was this Lakshmi Sundaram's first episode of the season? I don't keep track of it, but I don't but, think so. Um, let me double check. I don't think so. I, I Rather, I think you're correct in that it, it wasn't her first episode of the season. It is. She got upgraded to executive story editor, so she hasn't written as much this season. This was her first episode for season three. Her last episode was Dave Majors. Which also makes sense. You and I were really pleased with that episode. I don't have a lot else to say. I'm I'm actually kind of glad that we decided to dial back the frequency. I don't think I would have enjoyed these episodes as much, like, one by one. And definitely, like, the Swedes would have been super frustrating for me if I hadn't been able to go straight into Yippie Kayak from it. I thought the Swedes was fine. I didn't like it as much the second time, though. I, I find I like the conversations Jake and Rosa have in that episode more and more. But, like, the rest of the episode is sort of... Empty. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like episodes like Ava and Yippie Kayak are much stronger in part because there's fewer plot lines happening. Like, I'm not saying everything needs to be a plot to the end because that's a very retro storytelling style. But everyone having plot lines related to a central plot line seems to work really well. It, it sort of forces the ensembling. That said, I'm interested to see how... I'm interested to see how you feel about... Uh, nine days and the cruise specifically. I well, maybe I'll look into them after this. Yeah, uh, after we're done recording. Well, there's hostage situation as well, which I didn't care for. I I love Catherine Hahn, but I don't. Who? So there's this. So the next episode after Keepy Kayak, 
in addition to Ava having a Parks and Rec alum on the show, there's another Parks and Rec alum who appears as Charles's ex-wife. Ah, I'm not looking forward to meeting Charles's ex-wife. Oh, actually, before we wrap, one thing I wanted to ask you was we got an anonymous question that I answered last night, but I'm curious what your take on it is. Yeah. We got this anonymous question months ago, but the question was basically like, don't you think it's weird that we haven't met any of Amy's family, but now we're meeting Charles's ex-wife and like we've met Terry's brother-in-law several times and we're meeting Jake's mom. I think that Amy has a stronger work-life separation than the others. But we've even met Rose's sister and brother-in-law. That's true. Yeah, I don't know. It's pretty weird. I, I, my response to that person was that, like, even Rosa has mentioned her sister and her brother, or, I'm sorry, her sister and her parents. Like, she's mentioned them in the relative context of conversation. But we've only ever heard Amy mention her mom once, and that was in a purely personal context. She Um. mentioned an aunt once because she mentioned giving that person a, a jaywalking ticket one time. And she's mentioned the number of brothers she has a number of times. No, she hasn't. Hmm? Terry Amy? tells Terry tells us that Amy has seven brothers. I don't think Amy's ever mentioned how many brothers she has. She's ever, I don't think she's ever started a sentence with my brother said. Pretty sure she has something about... She has one point where she explains something about herself. Like, I think in the episode where they go... Where, where Rose is up for a captainship. She talks about how she has seven older brothers so she's always been fighting for like a seat at the table right you're right i forgot about that still it's interesting to realize that like amy's never mentioned specific siblings or like relations that i thought that was interesting i i don't know if we'll see amy's family by the end of the season though we know amy's gonna meet both of jake's parents i think it's next week actually Hmm. we also didn't talk about how kevin is in france for six months like that gets set up in the in the squash Plotline. My my only impression of that was that Kevin has a perfect command of of having an opinion about any pop culture thing or real culture thing that happens at any time. Just like oh yes, Ratatouille that was a uh, that was forced and unnatural or uh, interesting casting to make you be greaseball in some like college production of something. <laughs> I think that's everything we had. I guess, hey, audience, if you have other opinions that you want us to talk about, leave us an ask. We'll get to them eventually. Shrug. <laughs> months and months from now. Hopefully not months and months from now. Uh, while my job is starting to calm down. No, it's not. But I'm starting to manage it better. So we'll figure it out. Cool. All right. Well, from both of us to all of you, this has been Back in the Field. My name is Arthur. My name is Carl. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Bye.